Amen. Let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. I'm glad you're in the building today. Thank you for responding. We are not here to entertain you. The praise team, and we, we, we used, we used some, some, some older stuff and, and, and another pianist today. My wife decided at about 2.30 this morning, uh, when she went and got the baby out of the crib because Marley was crying, she decided that it would be a good time for her to pull her back out. And so if she's a little stiff this morning, she's not being rude, she's just hurting a little bit. But we're going to believe that before this service is over, God's going to take care of that. Well, glory. Mm. I'm just going to preach today. My God, I feel the help in the house. <clears throat> and uh, I got something that I've been chewing on for a few weeks. I hope it makes sense. I told my wife a while ago I'm trying to organize thoughts on paper. And uh, sometimes when you got too many thoughts, it's like herding kittens. So Matthew 16, 1 through 4. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. O wicked and adulterous, or a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. <clears throat> I'm going to try today to preach for the next few moments on this idea. I want to preach from these verses. I want to talk to you about a wonder and a word. A wonder and a word. And I hope it will make sense before we're through. God bless you. Turn to a neighbor and say, let's see what God's going to do today. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> it was finally Jesus' chance. At this moment in Scripture, He could settle the score. With just a few moments, in a, just a few moments, He could rise to the top and utterly silence the voices of His enemies that wanted so, so hard and so passionately to kill what Jesus was doing. All he had to do was perform a miracle. That's it. It wasn't that they wanted some theological discourse. They didn't need a lot of money. He didn't have to conquer Jerusalem. All the religious leaders wanted was for this carpenter from Nazareth who had an incredible following because of his teachings and a few miracles he had done. All they wanted him to do was to perform a work. That's it. It would seem very easy in our logic for him to go ahead and do that. I mean, isn't he truly God in Christ? If you'll remember, it's just a few verses later that Peter will come to the revelation that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He will get the revelation that upon this rock, Jesus is going to build a church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. So surely in this immediate moment, uh, surely this man that stands before them could prove to everybody uh, that he was more than a man. But the crazy thing is... Jesus' response doesn't match Jesus' opportunity. It doesn't. 
They come to him. The leaders of the day come to him. And they are acquiescing to him. They are basically saying, if you'll just give us a sign, we will lay down all of our differences. We will declare you to be the Messiah. We will walk to, we will follow after you. All you have to do is perform a work. And yet Jesus looks at them and very quickly cuts to the chase and said, you're nothing but a wicked and perverse generation because all you want is to be entertained with a sign. This is not the only incident recorded in Scripture. Matthew records another incident and Mark also records. It's a total of three occurrences in your, in your Bible where Jesus is asked, would you just give us a sign? If you give us a sign, then we believe. We'll believe. We'll understand. We'll acknowledge your Lordship and your Messiahship and we'll follow you anywhere you want us to go. If you'll just give us a sign. And yet each time Jesus responds with disgust at what he's being asked to do. And it's mind-boggling when we read it on the surface because I would think a Miracle would be easier than a cross. It would seem that a miracle would be more politically correct than a cross. It would seem that a miracle would get better publicity than a trial and a cross. It would seem that a miracle would make everybody feel better and would prove himself like a cross would fail to prove him. But Jesus looks at the sign and says, no, 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 you're looking for something that you're not supposed to get at this point. Does it make sense until you understand that the reason that Jesus is irritated is that they were more concerned with a wonder than they were with a word? You see, Jesus looks at them both or all three times and he quotes either the prophet Jonas or talks to them about the prophet Jonah or he talks to them about Nineveh or he talks to them about the queen of Sheba. And what he's doing is he begins to quote to them word. He begins to remind them of what took place in their Old Testament. Uh, and said basically, uh, if you all you want is a sign, the only sign you needed uh, was what's in your Bible. I've come to preach today. I know it may sound a little weird, but I've come to preach today. And I need to remind us this afternoon that the Word of God is the most valuable thing that you and I have in our possession. My God, help us today uh, that our possessions aren't so are, are, aren't the uh, car that we drive and aren't aren't just the, the the houses that we live in or the clothes on our back. Uh, but may the most valuable possession in our home be that little book uh, that sits on the shelf uh, that we take to church with us. Uh, maybe that little app on our phone. Hey, my friend, uh, it's more than an app and it's more than a little bit of pigskin. Uh, my friend, it is the in, 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 uh, inerrant uh, and eternal word of the almighty God it is the most valuable thing we possess the book of Psalms tells us so many scriptures where it tells us about the goodness and the majesty and the wonder of God's word and in Psalm chapter 19 we see his word spelled out beginning with verse number 7 the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the statutes of the Lord are clean enduring forever alright rejoice in the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the Lord are true 
and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Hey, my friend, the word of God is valuable. Job 23 and 12, Job says this, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 119 in your Bible is the longest single chapter in the Bible. Do you want to know what the subject is? It's the Bible. The longest book in the, or the longest chapter in the longest book contains a sermon or a essay, if you will, on the word of God. I don't have time to go through all of it, but let me give you three verses. In verse 72, the author says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. In verse 97, he declared, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 103, he says this, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Hey, my friend, I want to remind us that the word of God is more than just words on a page sold in a bookstore or down loaded on your smartphone it is the sweetest thing I have it is the most powerful thing I have it is the most valuable thing I possess it's the word of God hear me today that the word of God is so mighty that when you open your Bible in the very beginning You see the word in action. When Genesis is penned, the author tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. But then the author tells us something that's revelatory. In verse number 3 he says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now think about this. Don't just, don't, just, don't just take it for granted. Think about this. There was nothing. It was wasted and empty. The earth as we know it did not exist. There was nothing. There was nothing. And God looked at nothing and he didn't go get something. He simply looked at nothing and spoke to nothing. Now, as much as I'd like to, there's no way in the world that I could have walked into the kitchen this morning and spoken to the ingredients of what you just ate and said, make this breakfast casserole. Laura's hurting today. She don't need to make it. Make this breakfast casserole. Didn't happen. In fact, my dear wife, as wonderful as she is, she couldn't do it either. She had to hobble into the kitchen and very stiffly 
start assembling ingredients while I held the baby. But God walked into the kitchen of eternity. There was nothing on the counter. There was nothing in the cupboard. The milk hadn't gone bad. The milk didn't exist. And he simply spoke. And when he spoke, immediately, there was. Every time God opened his mouth, uh, nothing began to respond uh, and something was produced. I feel the Holy Ghost. Uh, You need to hear me right now. Uh, The Word of God has power. A creative power that when God speaks it, everything responds uh, to His Word. Uh, In fact, nothing has to respond uh, to His Word because there's creative power. In the word of God. And God said. And there was light. And God said. The heavens were formed. Y'all see it? The stars and the galaxies. And the, the solar systems. And the universe expanding even today. The reality is. It was formed by the word of God. God spoke. And every bird began to fly. God spoke and grass began to grow. God spoke it and mountains began to form. God spoke it and the leopard began to leap. God spoke it and the elephant began to trump, trumpet. God spoke and the little frog began to chirp. God spoke it. He didn't form it. He spoke it. So when you hear thus saith the word of the Lord, uh, you need to understand that when God speaks it, uh, it didn't just happen. It is as it already was. Woo! He spoke the word of God. Now let me tell you how much God values his word. Let me tell you how much God values his word. Jesus said in the book of Luke, Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall never pass away. Another place he said, heaven and earth shall pass, but not one jot or tittle of the law shall fail. Okay, kind of sounds crazy. What, what are you talking about, Pastor? I know that, that's King James Version. What, what do you mean? He's talking about every little little Hebrew accent mark. Think of it like this. There won't be a dot of the I or the crossing of the T that fails in God's Word. And then he looked at the leaders in in John chapter 5 verse 39 and he's mad at them. He says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. Jesus said, before I ever showed up, the word of God was already spoken. 
And it already declared my coming. And it already spoke of my deity. And it already declared my messiahship. Search the scriptures. Here's what I really like. John picks up the pen and begins to write his gospel 60 years after the crucifixion. He is the last disciple or apostle left. He has watched transition in the church. He has watched paganism and Greek Hellenism come in like a raging flood and he is battling against the philosophy and the religious thought of paganism when he picks up the pen to remind Jew and Gentile alike that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And if there were any questions for John, uh, he cleared it all up in verse 14 when he declared, and that word put on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said the same word that went forth in Genesis 1 is the same word that came in flesh and dwelt among men and his word revealed his glory. John wasn't preaching another deity. John wasn't preaching paganism. John was declaring that the word of God was made incarnate. It was not a sub-deity. It was not a demigod. It was not another prophet or another messenger. But it was the word of God. Yea, it was God himself. Now we can get excited when we talk about the name of Jesus. Folks, if I've got a candy stick, it's the oneness of God and the name of Jesus. It is the single most powerful doctrine that we have. Because you can't even get to holiness until you get to the name of Jesus. It's the single most powerful doctrine. And it's also the single most, most distinct identifier of the apostolic movement. Uh, I know some of y'all didn't agree with me on that, but that's, that's true. It's the single most the distinct identifier of the apostolic movement. The oneness of God. And we shout and huck a butt and kick the sheetrock in and walk on the pews and we roll on the floor and hang from the chandeliers over the name of Jesus. But I'm about to give you some Bible that might mess with your theology. Because Psalm 138 verse 2 says this. Lord, thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. And actually, I really just misquoted it. Because he actually says, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Every attribute. Everything we call you. Everything we know you as is less important than the Word of God. Why? Because without His Word, you'll never get His name. Oh, let me say it like John said it. Without His Word, you'll never get the revelation of His glory. My friend, let me tell you, the Word of God is the most powerful thing that we have. 
The Word of God is the most powerful thing that we possess. Let me tell you, your Bible ought to be the most precious book in your home. And I'm not just talking from a display point of view. I'm talking about read it and live it and memorize it and talk about it. And, 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 and Deuteronomy tells it like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And we know that and we believe that. But you've got to remember the rest of the Shema. He tells them, teach it diligently unto thy children. When thou liest down, when thou settest in thine house, when thou walkest in the way, when thou enter into thy, put it on the post of thy gate, and on thy door bind it up as a sign upon thine head and, and as frontlets between thine you know what he's saying he said don't just talk about oneness and don't just talk about holiness and don't just talk about new birth but why don't we get a hold of his word and live it and love it for the rest of our life now don't worry don't worry I'm getting to where I want to go don't worry I hadn't lost my mind. I hadn't lost my place. I know what my title is. I'm talking to you about a wonder and a word. The word of God is so powerful. Yet too many times we're more interested in a wonder than we are in his word. I wonder what's going to happen today. I said it this morning. I said it just a while ago. Can't wait to see what God is going to do today. I wonder maybe we should be asking. I wonder what God will say. Today. Because God's word. Will always precede God's wonder. Okay I'm going somewhere I promise. We know the story of Gideon. Gideon that mighty man of valor. Threshing wheat at a wine press. Hidden from the host of Midian. As Israel exists in a subservient bondage against people that they were never supposed to serve. Midian and all the hosts of the east numbered an innumerable host and they were a formidable foe and Israel was just barely eking out an existence and for seven years they served the host of Midian. And Gideon's just trying to barely scrape enough bread by to make it. That's it. I can just get enough to feed my little family. Just get enough to do what I need to do. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, you're about to deliver Israel out of the host of Midian. The word. And what does Gideon do? Not me. You got the wrong dude. You can say all that you want to, but I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to be mighty. I'm not a man of valor. Don't you even realize what you're saying? You're talking to me about bravery while I'm hiding. And so the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord has to convince him that he's mighty. And tells him, start throwing down the altars of Baal. And he does, but he goes at night. And then he gathers the children of Israel together and 32,000 people show up. And he's thinking, all right, maybe we got a chance. We're going to fight. We got, we got a chance. 
and, 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 and God starts whittling on the, on the crowd. He tells them, no, let everybody that's fearful and afraid go. 22,000 leave. He's left with 10,000, takes them to the water, and, 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 and 300 people are left. But in the middle of that, something takes place that every single person in this building that's been around church has done. In the middle of all of that, Gideon fleeced God. Anybody heard that phrase? God's over here telling him. I'm talking an angel showed. We're not talking about the preacher in the middle of a church service hyped up and feeling good about himself. Says, God's going to bless you. No, an angel of the Lord shows up. Clue number one that God may be up to something. And the word of God is you're going to be a man of valor and you're going to deliver Israel. And homeboy is still doubting the word of God. So this is what he does. He says, God, if you're going to be with us and if you're really going to give us victory, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put a fleece out. And and what I want you to do when I come out and check it early in the morning, I want the fleece to be dry on the ground to be wet. And God honors his request. Now an angel showed up. The word has gone forth. He's fleeced God. And he says, God, that was powerful. That was wonderful. Let's do it again. The word has gone forth. The word that we just shouted about. The angel has shown up. And he's over here wanting to fill a fleece. God, if you'll make the fleece wet and the ground dry... And he does it. I think I got those backwards, but whatever. You got what I'm talking about. He fleeces God twice. And he goes through his numbers, and he's still shaking in his boots. And God says, hey, you idiot. It's not King James Version, but this is what God wanted to say. If you're still doubting my word, why don't you go down to the enemy camp? And if you... If you'll doubt my word, maybe you'll take their word. And I know you're going to be too scared to go by yourself, so you might as well bring your buddy Fuhrer with you and let your servant go down with you. Let him hear because you're going to imagine all this. You're going to think you dreamed it all. So we'll go get you a witness. And God walks him down to the enemy camp, and the enemy is sitting outside going, Hey, buddy, I had a dream the other night, and I dreamed a barley cake. It was the weirdest dream. This big old barley cake rolled into camp, and it fell into a tent, and it crashed it, smothered the tent, killed everybody inside, destroyed everything. And the other dude he's telling to looks at him and goes, Well, my word. That's nothing more than the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And Gideon gets a revelation. And God spent the last two chapters trying to tell him a word. And the enemy goes, I got a word. Now y'all ready for me to be lit, go right where we all live? That's the way we all do it. We have his word. But we don't do anything about it. Okay, don't, don't get upset. I'm going to preach to me. I'm going to preach to God, if it's your, really your will. It's true. Y'all laughing, but it's true. But I already know His will. Because I have His word. Oh, 
Oh God, I don't know if I'm supposed to live for you. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, you do. It's in His Word. I don't know if we should even worry about praying for healing. I don't know if God really can heal cancer. I don't know if He can take care of COVID. I don't know if God really can move over my financial need. I just don't know if He can. But it's in His Word. And if you have His Word, then the Word always precedes the wonder. Oh, come on, Hezekiah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're a good, godly king. You've done a lot of things well. The only problem is now you're sick. And when you're sick, you're not thinking straight. And the man of God comes in, looks at you and goes, Yep, you're about to die. What does Hezekiah do? Oh, God. He hears the word. Oh, God. What are we going to do? God, I've been faithful. God, I've done everything I can. Why are you going to kill me now? And God whispers over here to the man of God as he's walking out the door and says, Go tell him I'll give him another 15 years. So here goes the man of God. Back to Hezekiah and say, hey, God changed his mind. You look bad, but you're going to be healed. God's going to heal you. And Hezekiah all of a sudden lost his faith in the word of God. He says, well, how will I know that the word of God's going to happen? Well, what kind of sign do you want, king? You believed me the first time with the bad news. Why can't you believe the good news? And Hezekiah looks at him and says, well, I'd believe it if if the shadow will go back 10 degrees, if the sun will go back a little bit and make the shadow back 10 degrees. I'll believe it. A a feat that is not humanly, logically, or it's not naturally, physically possible. He wants God to perform this huge, big thing. And God says, well, I'll do it just to show you I can. And see, that's how we want God to work. Well, I believe God's going to heal me. And I'll go down and get prayer, but they better sing this course one more time. We sing it three more times and you still don't move. Well, I believe God would want me to pay my tithes, but I'd just like a sign from heaven. I don't know if God really wants me to teach a Bible study or not. Maybe maybe if, if, if an evangelist would come and just put that spirit of evangelism on me. I'd get my breakthrough if pastor would just come and lay his hands on me in the middle of church. You still wouldn't get it. Because if you're looking for a sign, you missed it. You already have his word. Is this making sense? Here's what I'm sick and tired of. I'm sick and tired of the Pentecostal movement looking at at, at church services like we're getting a spiritual high. And we act like supernatural junkies going from conference to conference and church service to church service. But the devil whoops our tail in the week and the flesh rises up and we can't get a breakthrough in our own prayer life and we can't see miracle signs and wonders because we don't understand how it works. My friends, listen to me. That's got to stop. We have His Word. And if we have His Word, His wonder will follow. Now, I promise I'm almost done, but i got to give you some Bible. I'm not making this up. I started d- digging into this a few weeks ago, and, 
and, and, and I mean, it was right after youth camp. In fact, it was the, 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 I believe it was the Saturday after youth camp. We were exhausted, and the Lord started dealing with me at home. And I, I was sitting in the recliner. We had just gotten home, and I sat in the recliner until everybody else was asleep. I was up late writing notes and scribbling stuff down as the Lord began to deal with me about this. And it's, it's messed me up, folks. Go to Mark 16. Mark 16 is powerful. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. They shall take up serpents or drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm them. Don't worry, we didn't bring the snakes today. Okay? So we look at those verses and we think, whoa! These signs shall follow them that believe. I've got faith. I believe. Woo, we're going to have a revival. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see signs and wonders. And we come in with a lot of faith. And we start laying hands on people. And I mean, we're just machine gunning it. Jesus name, Jesus name, Jesus. We're just believing God for miracles. And we walk away going, man, that felt good. And everybody else walks away the same sick junk that they walked in with. And we go, what happened? Well, you took it out of context, Grendel. That's what happened. Because I've preached it. Just believe. Just have faith. And that's only partially true. Go to the context of what is being said. Go back to Mark 16 and 14. This is what the Bible says. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. These are the disciples. Minus Judas. As they said at meat. And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Jesus shows up from the dead and chews these jokers out. He says, you sorry carnal jerks. He gets on to them. He doesn't give them a hug. He doesn't have a positive mental attitude. He comes in there and whoops up on these guys verbally. That's what he says. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. They believed not the word. That Jesus had rose from the dead and they refused to believe the word that said, go meet me in Galilee. Jesus told them, when I die, don't stay in Jerusalem, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. But they didn't believe it. So Jesus has to make a special trip to Jerusalem and say, hey, you sorry sapsuckers, you didn't hear the word. Am I making sense? And this is what he says. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He tells them what to do. He gives them the gospel. He gives them the word. Preach the gospel. What is the gospel? He defines it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. In other words, go preach the gospel. And this is what you preach. Go believe in, they believe in me. They've got to repent, be baptized, preach that. And if they don't, they're going to be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. He lists out the signs. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He gives them the gospel. He defines the word. He tells them what to do with the word. And then he says, If you believe, these signs shall follow. What's he saying? He's not talking about salvific faith. Everybody with me? I know you're quiet, but listen. He's saying the progression is, if you'll preach my word 
And people respond. I will confirm my word with signs. And if you had any doubts, that's what he was saying. Keep reading. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the belief. Confirming their faith. That's not what it says. That's what we preach, but that's not what it says. He says he confirmed his word. Leaders, you want to know why I talked about being a word church Thursday? It's because if we'll be a word church, signs follow the word. That's why Paul looked at Timothy and said, preach the word. That's why our elders have always said for years uh, that if you want to see miracle signs and wonders, preach the oneness of God because the oneness of God will unlock supernatural moves of the It's not because it's some kind of secret formula. It's because if you'll just preach the word, uh, if you'll just declare the word, uh, he will confirm uh, his word. Okay, are you ready for this? This is the whole message right here. This is why I wanted to get here. Because his word says uh, he opened blind eyes. Uh, His word said he unstopped deaf ears. Uh, His word said he took lame people and got them out of their beds. Uh, His word said he he released crippled arms and withered arms to be stretched out. Uh, His word says he's a provider. His word calls him the prince of peace. Uh, His word says he's a mighty God. His word says he's the everlasting Father. His word says he will save his people from their sins. His word says that his arm is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness but he is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Hey my friend I'm here to tell you that if you want a miracle you didn't come to a miracle seeking church. You came to a word preaching church because I know if I preach his word If I declare what thus saith the word of the Lord, then his word will not, cannot, and shall not return void. So if you need a touch from God today in this place, you've heard his word. Now don't respond to a preacher. Respond to his word. Come on, everybody. Let's stand. I'm done. Let's stand. His word calls him counselor. His word calls him wonderful. His word calls him provider. His word calls him healer. His Oh, somebody needs to hear me right now. His word says uh, that he is the Lord of hosts. That means that heaven, earth, and everything in between battles uh, at the command of God. And so if something is fighting you today, some spirit is fighting you today, uh, you've stepped into the presence of the Lord of hosts. I've come... Jesus. God can heal a back and God can heal COVID. God can heal cancer and God can heal glaucoma. God can reach down and heal hip pain and God can reach up and touch gum pain. God can reach out and touch your mind and he can reach in and touch your heart. Why? Because
because his word, his word, his word says it so. And if his word says it so, then I stake my entire ministry on this glorious truth so I don't have to do anything. I don't have to pray for anybody. I don't have to say something or perform. I'll just preach his word because his word is true. If somebody believes his word right now, you better get to the front and throw your hands in the air. God wants to heal your body. God wants to touch your mind. God wants to work in your spirit. God wants to remove the bitterness. God wants to remove the the, the, the scars and the pain. God wants to work in the emotional situation. God wants to reach into wherever you are. And he wants to touch your body. He wants to move today. Because his word says... Now, God, I have preached what I feel so strongly in this building. I have preached your word. And, God, I cannot heal anyone. I cannot touch anybody. I can't save anybody. God, I cannot touch their mental stress. I can't help them at all. But, God, your word says you can. And so, God, I pray by the authority of the word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus, I release healing in this building. I release faith in this building. I speak the word of faith. I speak a word of authority over every spirit. I come against every mental anguish. I come against the spirit of depression in the name of Jesus. And by the authority of that word, Lord, I come against it because your word says it. I come against it because your word says you're able. 